HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with the Todd Selby. Thank you for being in our place. Hi, Michael. How's it going? Um, Todd was previously on Grace's show, After the Jump, so you can listen to a lot about his life and how he arrived to this point, uh, which we have him on for, Edible Selby, this amazing book, this compilations of chefs and restaurants and experiences that you've had for, what, the past year or two? How Two long? years. Excellent. Just been traveling around the world, eating, shooting in people's kitchens. Yes. Yeah, Excellent. exactly. Eat, shoot, leave. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have that like mantra tattooed onto your that, arm? That's a that was like some I didn't think of that some <laughs> someone else did, but I think it's quite funny. Yeah, <laughs> this whole journey. I mean, you you weren't a restaurant guy. You didn't work in restaurants, but you're always fascinated with food because of travel. Um, what is it that brought you to this project? Um. Yeah, my background isn't isn't in restaurants, or I don't really know how to cook very well, and and all that but i've I've just always kind of been i've been friends with chefs and interested in always been food obsessed like whenever i'm traveling and working the first thing i would always think of was okay where are we going to go get lunch where are we getting dinner what's for dessert can we go try two or three places tonight you know always it gets obsessive really which i imagine you're probably the same way yeah (laughs) um and and i was doing this photography project the selby and my first book was very much about people's homes and some of their workspaces. And I thought that that kind of concept of uh, documenting creative people in their spaces, I could take that and apply it to the food world. And it might give people a different perspective and um, and be kind of like an interesting challenge for myself. Yeah. Well, I first saw this project on T-Style, uh, the New York Times um, magazine. Now... 
who was your first subject and how did you interact with that person? Uh, because kitchens are definitely a little bit different than a personal space. Yeah, um, absolutely. It, it was um, Ignacio Matos, um, who was at Il Buco at the time. So I did, that was the first food-related kind of shoot that I did. Um, and that he's, he's a good friend of, of Danielle, my girlfriend's, and, and mine. And so we were very friendly, and, and I would all, we'd always go hang out with him there when he was cooking. And it was from that I kind of got to know a little bit about how the kitchen works and the chef's role, you know, being at the pass and kind of inspecting things as they come out and leading the team and how how it kind of works. So I felt really comfortable shooting him there. Um, And that was just an eye-opening experience, just like finding out even just the first off the bat, like how early people get there (laughs) and then how late they're staying. You're just like, wait, wait a second. Is this is this for real? You know, like getting there first thing in the morning and they're all getting started and they're there to like, who knows how late I could, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, I need to like go home and take a nap here. (laughs) Yeah. It takes a a different breed to be able to kind of work those hours and almost counterculture to everybody else too. Yeah. I think that, yeah, exactly. A different breed of person. And that's, I mean, I've always been attracted to um, interesting characters and people who had a lot of passion um, and, chefs food people that's exact that's the definition of who they are because you have you have to be a different breed you have to be so passionate and so dedicated um it just really there's a lot of really interesting people in that world it's not something you kind of get into and do really well and just half ass if you will yeah, yeah, you know it's like you have to be full-on dedicated yeah no longer a hobby well i mean so a kitchen space is different from you know, a, a home space as well in how you approach it photographically. What kind of equipment do you carry into a kitchen? Um, as little as possible is the correct answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you're already the the homework that I did and that I still do is is much more relaxed. You're like chilling out with these people. You're in their house. It's like very casual. It's all it's really a fun time when you're in like someone's workspace and it's a kitchen. It's like it's. It's like one of the most intense places you could be. Um, and and so the idea is that you're there taking pictures, um, but you want to do so in a kind of a documentary style way, reportage. So working with available light and shooting very, very quickly and trying to not be in the way is the idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So camera-wise, too, uh, you know, you don't have much space to back up often. Is it a particular lens that you use? No, I I don't. I I used a range of um, Leica, Canon, Nikon cameras through the two years I was doing this, just always trying stuff and um, just different SLRs, fixed lenses, because it's available light and it's very um, low light situations. But I think that camera, I mean, this I've been doing this for 12 years and just to see the evolution of how good the digital ca- digital cameras are now, like you can shoot in almost complete darkness, yeah, and still get some great pictures. It's um, it's really been enabled this project, you know. Yeah, I mean, when they dim the lights in restaurants too, and you know, dinner rushes, you obviously don't have that much natural light to play with. Yeah, exactly. So, when approaching a restaurant and talking to them about this project, you know, having another body in the kitchen is sometimes a a logistical nightmare because they've already set up, you know, their pass or how their cooks operate. Um, how do you find a place in the kitchen that's both safe and active? 
Um, it's about observation. So I, I really went out of my way to kind of, I think the first thing you want to do is kind of observe, learn how the kitchen works and how the spaces are, you know, okay, this is, this is the past. This is where the different stations are. This is a hot station. This is a salad station and see how people are moving and where they're going. And I mean, a lot of times there's basically nowhere to go, um, but you just try to find the least in pl- inconvenient place for everyone. Um, because you don't, you know, like, a lot of times it's like the I'm I'm working with the chef, the head people there, but everyone else in the kitchen is like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> yeah. So you just want to like you don't want to make their life any harder or mess with them. So just I just try to do my best to to stay out of their way. Yeah, I mean, being in the kitchen too, it being a team, or at least in my head, um, you know, there's that mutual admiration and respect for each other. Do you try to photograph everyone in the kitchen, all the things going on, or do you focus on certain things like head chefs and particular dishes? Uh, well, the focus is like my work is very personality based. Um, so each of the chapter, there's 40 shoots in the book, and each of the chapters kind of focuses on specific people. Um, but at the same time, like with Fergus and Margot Henderson, I shot them, and I also shot the head chef at St. John. He was in there working. So you see him, and you, you got to see the other people working with the team. But I think it's, you know, it's only I only have four to six pages to eight pages per chapter to kind of tell a story about a person. So you kind of see a bit of them and their team, and, uh, you know, it's a, good, it's a good mix. Yeah. Well, I mean, talking about personality-driven Fergus is a wonderful example of that. What was your interaction like with him? Because, I mean, he is a demigod amongst uh, uh, nose-to-tail eaters in this country. Yeah, you know, it's... I have this certain philosophy, um, which I think I saw on a sign somewhere one time, but it says, walk in stupid, um, which is great advice, I think, to, to to a documentary, whether you're a journalist or radio person or you know, a photographer, writer, it's like, you don't, you don't want to come to it with all these, pre- your situation or meeting someone with all these preconceived notions, because then you're just going to do the same thing that everyone else did kind of, and put something on something. So like with Fergus, like I, I couldn't help, but of course he's so famous for the nose to tail movement being such a, like a figurehead. But at the same time, like that, that was in the back of my mind. But at the same time, he, we never even talked about that. And it was never something he, we hung out all day and it never came up one time and it wasn't like anything that he was really into. Like what actually happened that day was it was all about like lunch. We talked about lunchtime yeah. the whole day. Like he was, he was kind of teaching me about the importance of lunch as opposed to like dinner with dining. And he's like, you got to lunch is like the most important meal of the day because you could go so big at lunch and who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, dinner, it's like you go big at dinner, you're going to pass out. <laughs> You know, so he's like, it's got to be all about lunch and and pigging out and having some drinks and having some fun and like that. See where the day leads. So he he had this whole other philosophy yeah. that he's he's into, and we were talking about it. it was you know, um, he taught me about Elevenses too, oh, yes. which I'd never heard of before. Um, and he does his at St. John. It's a cool. It's a tradition that they're open at 11 and you can go there and have Elevenses. And I think it's it's basically just Fergus and his buddies who stop by and you have like a glass of Madeira and some seed cake and chill out and just have a, have a, a little pep in your step <laughs> until lunchtime. Um, so it's, 
Have you incorporated allowances or, you know, the, the importance of lunch into your life? Because, I mean, you're getting philosophies. You're not just getting photos out of these people. No, I felt like I really, I learned a lot. But unfortunately, it's like I'm, I'm like a crazy worker. So, like, I've never had allowances since I had it with him last time. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm like, you know, I understand the importance that you, like, take a break, step, you know, have have a laugh or two. I think that's just kind of like the general philosophy behind it. Um, so I, you know, it's like something I need to get involved with. Yeah. So I mean, meeting all these amazing personalities around the world. Are there any other people that have influenced your food, you know, uh, outlook or eating habits along the way? Um, eating habits because you you don't eat everything. You, you're not a swine guy, right? Yes, I'm a pescatarian. Um, but in terms of like eating personal eating habits um yeah i think i think someone like angelo angelo garo um who i shot the renaissance forge in san francisco he's he he was really interesting to hang out with because he just makes everything seem so easy just make it yourself and it's so obvious you should be curing your own olives and making your own wine and you know, he makes his own prosciutto and um, makes his pasta. Like, every single thing, he's, he's going out and getting wild fennel. Just like, oh, why wouldn't you just get it? It's right over there. <laughs> and, and, you know, in the mission, he goes, go up the hill and just grab some and let's do this. And and I think that kind of spirit is really infectious. Like, a lot, I, I, I'm, I'm not a, a chef and I'm, I'm not a good cook. But at the same time, I feel like I learned so much from all these people. Like, life lessons, you know, which I'm really thankful for. And that just has that spirit of like, just go do it. And and um, so many of the the chefs and people in, in the edible Selby book, I feel like, really embody that DIY this DIY concept of philosophy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love the idea of you know, well, walking in stupid because you get to ask questions. You're not in, trying to impart any knowledge. What are the questions that you ask people for the interview portion? Do you have those set up, or is it kind of organic? No. Yeah. Again, it's like the walking stupid concept. So I never have any cons i never have an idea what i'm going to ask them and i don't and if i did have some preconceived notion i make sure not to ask them about that like fergus don't ask him about nose to tail you know yeah. i'm sure he's like sick of that question anyways you know um so i kind of base it on uh, my process is i'm taking pictures of them and i'm hanging out with them and i'm learning just just talking about what they're interested in just natural conversation and then the questions always relate back to that natural conversation um so I think it gives it a bit more of a, you, you get more of a personal feel. Yeah. Is it ever hard, you know, traveling around the world, um, there are just so many different cultures and you're in the, how do you say it, the fish market in uh, Tokyo. In Skiji, yeah. Yeah. And you're there, you know, with a fishmonger dealing with giant pieces of tuna. Who is it that you photographed and interviewed there and how was it to relate to them? Um, I shot the top tuna wholesaler in the world who's who's there um and he's got a whole team with him and he goes into the auction every morning he buys they're buying at the highest end tuna there's there's different markets in skiji in terms of different auctions the tuna auction there's a frozen auction which the vast majority of like if we went to sushi tonight that's what we'd probably be having um but at the very highest end there's there's unfrozen tuna so fish that have never been frozen that just came in straight off the boat straight to fedex or whatever and got or a boat to Skiji and then their auction and those you know the I think the tuna that he bought that day was like two hundred thousand dollars something yeah 
something in that range for one fish. Yeah. And so it's a super high pressure situation where they're trying to j- they're trying to judge if this is the fish is worth it or not worth it and they're just kind of looking at it inspecting it. So that was it was a pretty an amazing experience to be able to be there and to photograph that guy at the top of his craft kind of you know and it also you know it's also the whole feeling of like who tuna are so amazing and it's like how long are they going to be around for in this tradition and it was it was kind of a unique thing to be able to see yeah so i mean in, in seeing something that like like that um you can't help but you know be moved where there are situations uh where it was so foreign that you didn't really understand what was going on but we're still able to interact um because hmm. i mean we're talking chefs we're talking restaurants and you know a lot of these things are analogous you know this happens in this kitchen and this happens in this kitchen so you kind of get used to the industry mm. in a way but was there something so distinct in some place that you had never seen it before yeah i think like mistral which was in sweden um i think i think that it's now closed or moved or something but that was like a really unique kitchen and dining experience um ignacio Matos had told me about that place and I I went there and it was like this it was just conf- I was confused I was like what's happening here what what is it's so foreign you know I just felt like this is so different and it's so cool to be somewhere where it felt like it was so different and their style of cooking and like the way that they like approached things was so incredibly different like they had for instance like they had a, a dish that's on actually on the back cover of the book which is uh, half of a potato and then some like different little kind of herbs that they went around and, like picked. We went and picked it next to the graveyard down <laughs> the street and like here and then this. So it was all like every single one of the, it was like 15 kinds of different wild herbs and then like one potato, half of a potato that was cooked for like 12 hours cooking one half a potato and they were like cooking this and it wasn't just say they were like working on this potato and I was like, I can't believe there were, you know, I just never thought that anyone could really like get so involved with a potato. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to take a break on that note. Um, you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org. We'll be right back. Today's program has been brought to you by S Wallace Edwards and sons. Edward Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com.
Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Todd Selby, roaming around the world. Let's, let's talk about France for a second. Um, you went to a bakery that I, I was lucky enough to go to recently, too, mm. in the 10th. Um, let's talk about, you know, it's funny because you photographed a lot of personalities in the fashion realm, and now you're talking about a fashion guy turning to a baker. That's Christophe at Dupont de, uh, at Des Idées. What was that place like? And what was interacting with someone who was in the fashion realm, now a baker, like for you? Um, I mean, that place is incredible. I mean, you've had, you had the oh, thing. There, the pistachio like, snails. Those, yeah. I, yeah. I can't stop thinking about that yeah. place. Um, and the space is incredible. I mean, it's just, I think that there is a big crossover with fashion and food. And like, especially because at a certain level, it's just about aesthetics so much and, and taste, of course, like, different different kind of definition of taste but just having that you know sense of how how things should look and how they go together and what your style it kind of kind of apply across so i I definitely see there's a big crossover there um yeah he's and he's such an interesting character himself he's an intense intense dude yeah what kind of information did you draw out of him? Because what's great about your book um, is these interviews, these very personal things that you know seem kind of lighthearted after. Mm-hmm. I think you, you broke them down for us because trying to walk into a bakery and ask the questions that you ask or gain the kind of personal rapport that you gain isn't easy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he was tough. He's He was tough. Like, uh, I think that my not speaking French was, a, you know, an issue. Like the language issue was, was not good. Um, you know, when you're, when you're interacting with like a French chef in France, speaking English to them, not good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did the best that I could. Um, I mean, he speaks perfect English. He speaks great, but it was just, you know, like as a concept, I think it's just a wrong foot to get off on. Like it would be, it's, it's definitely on my to-do list is like learn, learn french and learn japanese would be a great thing yeah. but uh yeah he it's i think just the best thing i got out of there was just to kind of be able to take pictures of what he does and some of the process and to see that it's just like he's kind of a fake within paris he's like people people know that guy it's like he's respected well i mean we're we're, yeah. we're talking about not knowing french or not being able to communicate but food is such a common denominator and um, such a melting pot as well. And you went to Japan and had Neapolitan pizza. Yeah, you know, I was in Japan last week, and it was like I feel like it's all I ate was Neapolitan pizza because <laughs> I went to that. I went to Saracon, which is in the book, and then I had to go to like the other place, which my friend, my friend Julian, told me he was like, "Oh, you have to check out Strata Ten. He's like, "This is insane," you know, like you won't believe this, this is insane. And so I went there. Um, and now I've been at Roberta's for two days. It's like I, I Instagrammed a picture of the pizza. And my friend hit me back. He's like, stop eating pizza. Yeah. <laughs> pizza around the world. Pizza, I, yeah, 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 but I mean, Japan, it's mind-blowing, man. They can, they are incredible. I mean, I just have such respect for Japanese culture. And, and they're, you know, the food there is incredible. Like, they're, every, they have everything we have, but like better, pretty yeah. much. 
I mean, or if like that, I've been able to. That's my kind of conclusion as to like people like pizza. I'm like, it's incredible. Like they have a dedication and a work ethic. Like they can, you know, like Pierre Hermé in Tokyo versus Pierre Hermé in Paris. I don't know. Like it's it's a tough call. You know, it's like it's pretty. It's pretty amazing what everything's going on there. You know. Yeah, I mean, so being in restaurants in France and in Paris. What are the different things that you saw in work ethic that separated those two? Oh, well. <laughs> Don't worry, Pierre won't be no, mad. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it is a fascinating thing to see a culture, I wouldn't say co-op, but bring, you know, pizza to Tokyo. Um, and now you're in Roberta's. How, how do they make pizza differently? How do they move around a pizza oven differently? Did you see these? Well, I don't know enough to, to answer that question. Yeah. I just know that it's like it's great. I mean, both. I mean, we're so lucky yeah. to have Roberta's here and live in. I mean, uh, live in Brooklyn, be able to come here. It's like incredible. But that they can be doing it there, it's like it's it's great too. Yeah. You know? And like I'm, I've gotten really into um, Italian Japanese food, like Italian food in Japan that they've kind of brought over towards their side i'm it's like an obsession so when i wasn't eating the pizza i was eating like italian food <laughs> and it's so i mean it's it's incredible like uni uni uh spaghetti yeah um it's just i mean the creaminess with the uni and then the cream sauce and like some broccoli it's just like oh man i can't it's like i need to go have sushi at least one night yeah I, like pull <laughs> myself away yeah so I mean, hearing the way you talk about food, you're obviously invested in in, in eating. Um, <laughs> that was a weird but well kind said. of accurate like thing to say. Um, I I too have a large investment in eating. Um, <laughs> but you know, going out to a restaurant and after having been in all these restaurants, it must have changed the way you order from a menu. Yeah, like now I I have a lot of curiosity. More. So I, you know, you you read a menu and you'd be like, oh, I really feel like that. Oh yeah, okay. Like, let's just get that salad or that pizza or whatever. You know, like, or whatever the most obvious thing you could kind of be craving. But then I'll see the strange things or the things I'm like, well, what is that? I don't know what that is. I'll order that. Yeah. I mean, now I tend to order both. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm like ordering twice as much everything. I'm just like, oh, I want to try that. I want to try that. I want to try that. Yeah. You know? Have you ever used a menu item as a way into a restaurant, saying like? man, that, that uni dish sounds amazing. Um, now I want to go and photograph and find uni in other restaurants. No. Yeah. So do you look at a restaurant and say, that's who I want to go and photograph? Or do you look at the style of cuisine? How do, how do you find it's your It's kind of everything. It's like the people behind it, the space, what they're doing. Um, you know, how do I, do I feel like it has some real authenticity or go with what, you know, some interest people and fit into this, this kind of colorful cast of characters that we have in the book. It's like, it's about building that too. Yeah. I mean, talk about colorful characters. You've run, you know, the gamut. I mean, you were at uh, Chez Panisse for the 40th anniversary. Uh-huh. Yeah. With, I went to the, I went to all the dinners. Yeah. That must have been tremendous. I mean, what was that experience like? Um, That was awesome. That was kind of like a, it was, I, I think I was out like the night, I was at the night out the night before at, P- at pizza, at in <laughs> Oakland at Pizzaiolo. Yes, yeah. and I was like getting my mind blown over there. I was yeah. like, "This is that incredible!" Is and then, you know, I heard about the all the dinners and a kind of opportunity came up to like go to each of the dinners. I think I went to like sixteen or eighteen dinners. Oh yeah, 
and each one of them of itself like originally i was just out there to go to one of the dinners um but then that came out i was like you know what i gotta do it i want to see every single one yeah and it was so it's kind of like a stupid way to like just it was just crazy just jumping in a car and stopping by and running in and like saying hi it was it was great though to see all the different variety of and all the people it's such the Chez Panisse thing has been interesting because it's so many of the people um, that I've photographed has kind of been connected through Chez Panisse. Either they cook there or they stage there or it's like, you know, getting into that, that network was like, that's my main kind of jam. Yeah. You know? So you had Ignacio first who introduced you, mm-hmm. but then um, what is it? Sylvan Bracket? Yeah. Then, then actually next was... Um, like Al- Allison and Russell, Russell at Camino. So he was yeah. he was a chef at um, Shea for a really long time, and then they told me about Sylvan, you know, who was who worked with Alice Waters at at um, Shea Panisse for for a long time before he started Pico Pico, and then he told me about Kirk Lombard, the fisherman, and so it was all this like kind of plugging into that network was was great. Yeah, it, and it's an amazing network. I mean. There's probably too many places for you to photograph because people keep on pushing you in specific directions. But where do you find most people saying you have to go here or you got to check it out? I know Noma's been the top restaurant in the world for the past couple years. Uh, is it is it Scandinavia? Is it uh, you know Italian food in Tokyo? What what do you see as the trending uh, food thing? Um. Yeah, I mean, Scandinavia was, of course, a big push at the time. You know, with the, working on the book for the past two years, it's like they're just ruling it, you know? Um, in France, and I mean, there's been so so many of the, the places in the book are basically those places that people were telling, like Dom, Dom in, um, in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. Like, I'd heard about him and Alex Italia and what he was doing, and and went you know went down there and it was awesome so i mean so much of it was about that word of mouth stuff and i mean i think that the big the thing that i've learned through this one of the things that i've learned through this is about eating at a place like noma or at next you know places that are competing on this global level the top 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 echelons of what's going on with food and what it means to be a restaurant it's like what i've learned is that it's not just about like pure luxury it's not about this like super luxurious kind of like spa type experience you know where they're just you're just being like plied with caviar and truffles and lobster and like how you might think of one of these i mean that has nothing to do with noma but i'm just saying when you think of fine dining that fine dining is so much more now about like redefining what it is to be a restaurant and and challenging you it's like a challenge challenging you eating there and then also challenging themselves it's so much about that, about pushing those boundaries. And I think that's really exciting. Like with Next, they're changing. They're totally changing the concept of the restaurant. Um, I mean, what is it like every three months, every four months, something something like that. Multiple times, you're constant, which is insane. You know, they get this working thing with the restaurant, get all figured out, and then they totally change it. They close for, they're doing like, you know, old French stuff. And then they close for two days and they're doing futuristic Thai street food. Yeah. You know, and... And I think that's what's so exciting. It's like I, I really respond to that personally, that they're challenging themselves. And then like at Noma, you go and there's no waiters. You know, there's not this wait staff that's like serving you and whatever, you know, asking every few seconds if you like that. that <laughs> it's the, the chefs who make the food come out and give you the food, you know. And the first 
thing you eat is the table setting the flower you know the flowers that's sitting in the pot in front of you and then you know another course is you you eat a live shrimp that's trying to bite you <laughs> you know it's like challenge it's it's so I, I it's an intellectual experience yeah i mean was this something going in you thought you knew or expected on a certain level i did i mean i, I walked in very stupid <laughs> of yeah, course, yeah. i knew nothing you know i i knew a bit about it but i didn't expect that you know like and i res- and it was just learning about that and you know spending time with grant atchats that was incredible because it just you you see that philo- like for him to start a restaurant like next um and challenge himself that's what he's like all about he's like well why do you have to eat off a plate like eat off the table yeah you know eat off this why that well why that well let's do that you know like and why put a cocktail in the thing and then put the ice like let's put the cocktail inside of the ice and you know like i think that's that's just fun and that's just like how how things should be yeah i it almost seems like you're attracted to that kind of frenetic and forward thinking nature because you are the same way. I mean, going into so many different people's houses and places of work and figuring out how to photograph and interact with them is like changing yourself every shoot in a sense. I get, I, I think that I don't even like compare to what they're doing and their level of work. And like, I'm, I'm more of like a documentarian and like, I'd say like a creative documentarian. They're like creators. They're the ones who are like, out there you know doing all that so i don't i don't like i don't see it that way i just have so much respect for it. it's just so exciting yeah no and the respect shows i mean through the admiration of your interviews and your wonderful watercolors and by the way i love your magnets <laughs> they're all over thank flat you on my fridge um which is a big plus if you get the book so get the book get the magnets <laughs> but you have a couple recipes in the book itself too uh the Salad pasta, the Mountain Man miso soup. Uh, are these staples of yours? Or are these things that you learned along the way? Those are things that I, I, I only know how to make like nine things well. So those are like a couple of them. Yeah. Um, actually, this week I'm pretty excited that I actually learned to make something new. Yeah. What did you is, learn? I'm, I'm upset as, you know, I'm obsessed with Japanese Italian food. And when I was in Japan last week, I went to Kamakura to my favorite place that sells, uh, they serve crab spaghetti. So it's like a blue crab and it's cooked in the sauce with like a cre- tomato cream sauce. And it's super, it's almost like a soupy because cons- there's so much sauce to pasta ratio, you know? And so I got, I had a friend in Japan who gave me a similar recipe and um, actually made it like a couple nights ago and it came out, it came out really well actually. So I'm really psyched. I know how to make, I know how to make the crab spaghetti now. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Is That's not in the book. Not but. in the book, but in the book um, is, is one of my favorite recipes is mountain man miso soup. So that's like, I don't even know where that came from. Just like not knowing how to make miso soup properly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so making it really, if you get in a restaurant, it's always like so thin and kind of like, unless you're like, maybe at like a crazy health food restaurant where it's like, so it's super thick kind of, consistency to the miso and just all the vegetables and tofu and it's something i tend to all make for like dinner party because you can just make it yeah and then when people get there you can just hang out and just have it and yeah it's like a good dinner party so you cook differently in your house now um do you have a lavish kitchen do you have a a place that you want to be seen in because you go into so many other you know people's spaces is your space curated or uh, in any way aesthetic like theirs no (laughs) it's very nice and it's very like there's nothing there's it's just white walls and like a really nice view that's it um 
actually it's funny my girlfriend is like we should put something on the wall i'm like no <laughs> let's i just love it it's just like a breath it's like mental fresh air you come home and it's just like i'm just so happy to be there and sit on the couch and just white walls and my books and that's yeah. it, like nothing so i mean you don't go around looking at other piece pieces and say "Ooh, i like what they did with the wall let's put this tapestry up let's get that couch you just want minimalism tabula rasa yeah, I want nothing yeah it's like the more you're around other people's stuff. In the beginning, I was super inspired. I was like, oh, that guy made like these really cool bookshelves out of like this kind of construction material and they made this table. I was like super into it. But then you just become overwhelmed by people's stuff and yeah. collections. And it's like you just, the last thing you want is like to go on to like a flea market. I used to go to a flea market like twice a week, probably like Saturday and Sunday. I'd be at the flea market. Now I'm like, the last thing I want is like stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But you want food. I want food. And there's plenty of it in Edible Selby. And is this a project you're hoping to continue? Yeah. Um, the the column for Team Magazine's going on. Um, and it's, you know, it's, a fun, it's been a blast. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, why not? Keep hungry. Todd, thank you so much for being on. And again, if you want to listen to an earlier interview of Todd on Grace's show after the jump, check out the archives on iTunes. Thank you again for thank you, thank you guys doubling up and uh, looking forward to hopefully hidden of some of these spots uh, around the world. Excellent. You've been listening to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at three. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.